Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us here at the Calling Community Church on Easter Sunday. Now, I know there's a tradition that goes a lot like, He is risen, He is risen indeed. But I, I, don't, I don't know. There's something about the risen indeed part that I always feel awkward saying that for some reason. I don't, maybe it's just me. So I want to do it this way. I'm going to say, He is, and then you're going to finish with risen. All right? So He is. That was okay. It's okay. A little more excitement there. He is. That's awesome. We're excited to be here. Matter of fact, speaking of rising, I would ask if you have been part of the Calling Community Church from the beginning, like when we first started our first Sunday on uh, Father's Day in 2014, if you were there that day, would you stand up if you're a part of that? All right. Awesome. So just look, look around. For, you, for those of you, this is your first time here, maybe you haven't been here for a while. These people have been here for the long, they have put up with me ever since that day, and they're shaking their head. Yes, they have. So if you want to know more about the church, just find those people around you and ask them. They'd be glad to tell you. So go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to steal this music stand right here. We're so excited. Hey, last week I was talking about you have to be on your toes if you're going to be the newest member of the Calling Community Church. Because last week, Tony, the gentleman that was playing the guitar and the drum, he, his little boy, Elijah, was born on the triumphant Palm Sunday, born in the middle of the night, and... He, he made it. He was the newest member for one week. This morning, around 9 a.m., another baby in our church was born. Beth and Tony Nealon have a daughter named Katie Salmon. Katie had her baby. I don't know yet. Does anybody know yet whether it was a boy or a girl? Anyone here know that information? No? All right, well, I asked her if it was a boy or a girl. I have not heard yet, but she said they do have... A baby. So you have to be, like Elijah made it for one week. He was the newest member of the Calling Community Church, and then he was surpassed by the, the mystery baby. We'll find out for sure who that is. Well, we're so excited that you are here. We want to, um, we want to welcome you. We want to welcome those who are listening via the podcast. We're excited that we have that opportunity to spread the word through uh, an audio version over the internet. It's awesome that that can happen. I want to do something right now before we get too far into the sermon. I want, to, I want to take a moment to pray. I want to pray for nearly 150 people who lost their lives in a college in Kenya proclaiming the name of Jesus, professing their faith in Jesus Christ. Are you guys familiar with this story? Have you heard about this story? College students who, gun in their face, are you a believer do you, or do you acknowledge who Jesus is? And with the answer, yes, they lost their life. Can I, just, can I just say, as Christians in America, we don't know anything about that. We don't really know. We've never faced that kind of challenge or persecution for our faith. Not yet. Not yet. You know, sometimes the hardest struggle that we have is trying to decide what we're going to wear if we're going to get up and go at all. These people lost their lives for the name of Jesus. And praise God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they, though they were killed and lost their life, they're experiencing life more now than we could possibly even imagine right here where we're sitting. So let us pray for them right now. Father, it says in your word that, that there will be persecution that will come um, if for those who claim your name. The name of Jesus. Jesus said that the world will hate you because they hated me. And God, right now, I just lift up the families of those who lost their lives, the ones who are grieving right now, but maybe grieving with hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Father, I just pray 
that their reward will be great in heaven. Every single one of those who acknowledge Christ with their lips and then went on to be with you. God, I pray that the reward in heaven will be great because of their suffering here on earth. Father, I pray that we'd be encouraged by their example today. That when, when it does get hard or when it does get difficult, when just doing the right thing seems so hard sometimes, God, that we remember those who have paid a greater price. Father, we obviously remember Jesus today who paid the ultimate price for all of us who sit here today, for those of, who listen via the podcast. God, we pray that you would be glorified in this situation, and even in the midst of great tragedy there in Kenya, that God, a, a testimony will rise up out of there of your faithfulness and of your provision, of your greatness. God, and many more, maybe if it's just 150 that were sown into the earth, 150,000 will come to know you as a result. Wouldn't that be amazing, God? We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's, it's good news that uh, even though Kentucky did not continue to be undefeated, Jesus is still undefeated. Can I get an amen? I don't know if there's any Kentucky fans in the house, but we're grieving with you. Turn if, to uh, Mark chapter 14, if you will. Mark chapter 14. So I want to share, share the story with, um, with you, obviously, of the last few days of Jesus' life. It would be fitting to do so here, the, here today. So turn to uh, Mark chapter 14, and I would say uh, go to verse 32. Go to verse 32 in Mark chapter 14. And just a disclaimer before we get started, I do not dress like this every Sunday morning. So if you're feeling a little underdressed, don't worry about it. Just come next week, I'll promise you it won't be like this. It'll be a little more casual. But we're excited that you're here um, I want to uh, I want to just share with you for for a pastor to get a chance to preach on Sunday morning. It is kind of like pitching on pitching on opening day, pitching on opening day. If you know anything about baseball, like you getting the ball that day, which is coming up, right? It's like tomorrow, I think, is opening day. I've been in ministry since 1990. Uh, five, if you count the time that I spent uh, volunteering with Young Life and coming to this high school and getting to know students, this is only the second time in all the years that I've been a pastor that I've got a chance to preach on Easter Sunday morning. So you can imagine the, the, um, the excitement, kind of the preparation. is just like, I'm like an overfilled Easter egg ready to burst, all right? That's a good analogy, right? Because we're going to go experience that. I'm like you're going to feel after you eat Easter lunch here in just a little while. Just full, right? And so, so needless to say, with all that, it's hard to prepare to think, man, what is it that I'm going to say? Because I might only get one chance with some of the people in the room. But then I just remembered, you know, it's really not about me at all. It's about, it's about Jesus, and it's about his words, about the Holy Spirit speaking to and hopefully through me to you. So all week long I was thinking about some Friday moments, like, like the Friday Jesus must have had. All of us have had some Friday moments, right? The day didn't start out well and it ended worse than that. Can you, can you resonate with that? Just think about some difficult moments in your life when it just, it just seemed like, is this it? Is this how it's going to be? If it's not going to get any better than this, 
I wish that cup could pass for me. I wish I could just be done with this day. We've all had some Friday moments, but the good news is, is Friday wasn't the end of the story, right? And uh, you know, we'll, get, we'll get to that here in just a minute. So look, look at verse 32. This was just after Peter uh, had just told Jesus, I will, not, I will not disown you. I won't. Matter of fact, I am willing to die for you. And all the others said the same thing. And then they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And he cries, Abba, Father. And Jesus in the garden, Daddy, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Isn't that ironic? Peter, a moment before that, I will die for you. I will not disown you, but I will take a little nap because I'm kind of tired. And he says, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Isn't it amazing? It would probably be easier sometimes to to die for our faith than to be disciplined to live for him daily, right? Sometimes it would be easier, just go ahead and just shoot me now. That would be easier than just living it out every single day. One hour later, Peter is asleep. Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and he prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he found again them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. <laughs> Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour that he asked to pass from him has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs and sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged the signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near his sword struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. We know through history it was Peter who drew his sword. Peter always willing to go ahead and take the first step, whether that's good or bad. But he cut off the guy's ear. But in, in John, it re, it in this particular part of the story, when they ask Jesus who he is, Jesus says that I am he, that I am the one that you're looking for. And it said when they heard Jesus say who he was, they fell down because of the power of his name. Yet even then, Jesus, knowing the power that was available to him, didn't exercise it. He just let things happen the way they were supposed to be because he had already said, God, I'll do your will. I'll do what you want me to do. Jesus says, am I leading a rebellion that you come at me with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and they fled. Like, this is, this is funny that scripture has some humor in it. A young man went, was wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Isn't it amazing how fear sometimes outweighs our shame? 
Like, it would just, we, don't even know, we don't even care what it's going to be like. I'm so fearful. I've just got to get out of this situation. Now, when Jesus was took to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law, they came together. This was the first of six different trials that Jesus would go through over the next few hours. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they could not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. The high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men bring against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And it is translated as, He is. He is what? All right, we'll do it again. He is? That's right. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him and struck him with their fist and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and they beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, he looked closely at him. You also were with this Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out of the entryway. Isn't it amazing when fear outweighs our faith? Fear of what others think or what could possibly happen or fear of just not knowing um, what's going to happen next and not putting our faith and trust Fear outweighs Peter's faith. It says in one part in a, one of the Gospels that it was a relative of the guy who got his ear cut off that said um, that you were with you were one of those guys. This fellow was one of them, she said, and again Peter denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, "Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean." He began to call down curses and he swore to them, "I don't know this man that you are talking about." In Luke's Gospel, it says it was at that moment that Jesus looked at Peter. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time, and then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and he wept. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Isn't this amazing to think think about when you are in a situation where you have been confronted with a situation where you maybe are the one that are kind of pointing fingers at you. And I know for me and I know uh, for just humans, the natural instinct is to, to always figure out a way to justify our actions. 
or to somehow point the blame to other people, to, re- to deflect it off of us and say, yeah, yeah, but, but you just don't understand what they were doing. Well, what they were doing was much worse than me. That is just the human, human instinct. And Jesus, it was even a prophecy fulfilled that Jesus said quietly and didn't say anything. Now it's with custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. So he asked, do you want me to release you to you, the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Jesus instead of Barabbas. That great exchange of one for another. And if we know anything about the Christian faith at all, it should hit home with you and me that we were Barabbas. Proven guilty. Deserving of death. And Jesus instead of Barabbas. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace. That is the praetorium. And they called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and they twisted a, together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And then they began to call out to him, Hail the King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their, on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put it on his own clothes. And they led him out to crucify him. A writer said this is all part of this deep humiliation that is identified with human sin. Jesus became sin on our behalf. Isaiah 53. You can turn there if you want. I'm just going to share just a little bit with it. It says that He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted, but He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. Jesus took all of this upon Himself to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God is what Scripture says. Now, not every Gospel has this next part in there. John records Jesus as carrying the cross Himself. But Mark's Gospel says a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. If you dig into it a little bit, it might mean that Jesus carried, carried it for a little ways but couldn't carry it any further because of all the beating that he had taken. Mark doesn't even mention the fact that Jesus was whipped and whipped to the point of death. But it talks about this man, um, Simon, who, who was traveling in. It says that Simon was from Cyrene, so he had traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles to come for the festival, to celebrate the Passover. He was a good Jew. He was in the city for the right reason. And he got caught up. And he was forced to carry 
the cross. More than likely, it was the vertical, or not the vertical, but the horizontal beam of the cross that he would have carried. The vertical beam maybe would have already been there waiting for Jesus to be nailed to it and put those two things together. And so Simon carries this piece of wood following Jesus as Jesus is carrying something much heavier than a piece of wood. He's carrying the sin of all mankind. He's carrying yours. And He's carrying mine. And I know mine. And it's a lot. And it's heavy. And it says Jesus carried it. Bared that burden. And Simon, <laughs> Simon uh, was the first person to, to actually live out, pick up your cross and follow me. <laughs> he was actually doing that right then. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him there. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was at nine in the morning when they crucified him. Historians would say somewhere between nine and noon, Jesus was crucified. Then the written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. You know, if the Jews would have been the ones to have killed Jesus, because that's what they wanted, they wanted him dead. If they would have done it, they would have stoned him to death. That's the way they would have killed him. They wouldn't have hung him on a tree. They would have stoned him, but in stoning, bones get broken. And we know that there was a prophecy saying that none of his bones would be broken. All of the details in this story are just amazing to me. Like no happenstance. No, not, nothing happened without God predicting it and already setting it into motion. All these things happen for a purpose. They crucify, and I say, listen, I say that because you might think in your own life, there's things that are going on. I don't understand why is this happening to me. You just need to trust that it's happening for a purpose. There's something going on there. You might not like how it feels. I'm sure Jesus didn't enjoy what was going on at the time, but there's something coming. And that's going to be here in the rest of the story. Have you ever felt that way? Some stuff going on in your life. Man, I, I don't like this. I don't like the way this feels. I wish it was over. I wish I could just get through this. But then haven't you been on the other side of those moments where you're like, man, I can look back now, and man, I have learned so much because of that. I've grown because of that. No, I, didn't, I don't want to go back there again. But because of this, I am who I am today. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. If you know the story, it says one repented and one did not. One acknowledged who Jesus was and the other did not. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults at him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. 
Someone ran and filled a sponge filled with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see what happens. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. In the other Gospels, it says it was at this moment Jesus cried out, It is finished. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. It says the temple of the, the, cur- or the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance, among them Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed Jesus and had cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him up to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. And so as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, was himself waiting for the kingdom of God and went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked them if Jesus had already died. And when he had learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock, Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And that was Friday night. And the Sabbath begins. In church history, the history of the Israel culture, when the Sabbath begins, there's there's no more work to be done. There's nothing that you can do at that point. I was driving down the road, uh, I was taking Emma with me to, uh, well, I was, she was going with me, I was going with her actually, we were going to a college visit and just trying to determine is this a good fit, this is where she's going to go and getting stuff kind of nailed, nailed down, we were headed to Springfield and on the way there she was reading, she was reading a book, Emma what was the name of the book? More From Messes to Miracles. So, my mind starts rolling. It's like from messes to miracles, Friday was a mess. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking? Like, you can imagine thinking, man, you know what? Last Sunday, it was like Hosanna, and now all of a sudden, it's, it's Friday, and it's crucify. I, what happened? What happened between when we were celebrating and, and Jesus washed our feet and he showed us the full extent of his love and we shared this meal together and yeah, there's this thing with Judas. I don't know what Judas is thinking. He's crazy. I always knew he was crazy anyway. So he's off doing his thing. And then Peter's saying, I won't deny you. I'll die for you. And then he can't even stay awake. And then he denies even knowing who Jesus is. And then this whole thing about these trials and Jesus falsely accused and there is nothing we can do about it. So I started thinking about what the disciples were doing on Saturday. We don't hear a lot about Saturday, right? We hear about Friday and we hear about Sunday and Sunday is coming and praise God that it's coming and praise God that it came. But what were the disciples thinking on Saturday? So I started to think about you and about me. And I thought, think about situations in our life where we have no control over them. Think about it. You can't do anything about it. But yet you want to, right? 
You want, you want to try really hard. And I know that's how I am. Especially as a husband, I want to fix it, even though I shouldn't. I should just listen. But it was, to me, it's ironic, and not even ironic, it is like perfect timing that it was the Sabbath, and the disciples, they couldn't do anything. They were, there is no way they're getting credit for this. There's no way in their own humanness that they could fix what was going on. Only God could fix this problem now. Think about it. It's Saturday, and they're sitting and they're waiting. And they're having to trust that God is working, even though there's no way they can see it at that particular time. Even though they've already heard three different times Jesus told them, this is what's going to happen to me. It's already happened, and they still do not get it. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we know the end of the story, and there's still times in our life, right, that we still don't get it. We still try to fix it on our own. We try to get out and go ahead of God and make it happen before God gets there. And, and that's a dangerous place to be. When we were starting this church, some of the best counsel that I got was, Brady, don't try to make this happen on your own. Because if you do, it will start for a while and then it will fail. You cannot do this on your own. You have to wait for God to do this through you. So we waited. It was hard because I felt like I was supposed to be doing something, right? That's our culture for, as Americans for sure. We got to be doing something. Even if it's not right, I got to do it because I feel like I got to be busy. But these disciples couldn't do anything. They had to wait. And that overwhelmed me to the point that my daughter was sitting next to me and I was driving and, I, and the tears started coming to my eyes because I realized that there are so many situations in my life that I cannot fix and I have to trust God to fix them for me. Amen? And I was like, what were they thinking? Why is it so overwhelming to me? She'll tell you. I, was, like, I couldn't even get words out of my mouth. It was like this aha moment for me. So I got home and I was telling Trish about it. And uh, I was just kind of doing some research online, looking for the timeline of Jesus' death and resurrection. And I ran across this, uh, this author. His name is John Ortberg. And he wrote this book, and in this book, there's a segment about this very topic, and listen to what it says. And this is some real-life application for you and me. There's one more day left, and we don't talk about it, but I think it's the most important day of the Holy Week. It's Saturday. The day between the crucifixion and the resurrection what do you think the disciples were doing on Saturday? Here they have seen their friend and their master killed the day before, but also have this vague promise, which probably seemed ludicrous at the time, that he would rise again. So what do you think they were doing on Saturday between the tragedy and the promise? The author would con concede that most of life is Saturday. Think about it. We're in a terrible position but we have a promise from God that we only half believe. It's after the doctor tells us that we have cancer, but be before we're cured or be before, or before we find a new depth of faith to cope with it. Maybe it's after the marriage breaks up, but before God heals the grief. It's after we've been laid off, but before God uses our gifts in a new place. Most of life is Saturday. It's waiting in faith and hanging on to the promise that God is going to come 
through for us in spite of how bad things look. Most of life is Saturday. Maybe you're in a Saturday kind of place between a hard time and a promise that you only half believe. Know this for sure, that God's Easter irony is still at work, and He can even use the worst tragedies for the good, right? No matter how bleak and how dark Saturday gets, Sunday is coming, and it's coming sooner than you think. Praise God that Sunday did come. Praise God that later on, that next morning, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body because Jesus was only in a temporary grave. They were going to go and prepare him for burial. For early on in the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, hey, this is something we maybe should have thought about. This is a problem we don't know how we're going to fix. Who will roll away the stone? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. He said, don't be alarmed. He said, you were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. He's alive. And let me just say, ladies and gentlemen, that truth in itself makes all the difference in the world for you and me. Because Paul will go on later on to write to the church in Corinth to say, if it's not for the resurrection of Jesus, we of all people should be more pitied than anyone else. Because our hope and our faith is futile. It's worthless and it means nothing. If it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus. If it wasn't for the fact that Jesus conquers death, it would have made the funeral that I did yesterday morning very hopeless. But instead, it was hope full of people who love Jesus and put their trust and their hope in him. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is hope for you and me. For if one day when we die, we're not really going to be dead at all. We're going to be more alive than ever before because Jesus is going to come back someday. And when he comes back, he's going to take those who belong with him. And it says in Scripture that they're going to be caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever. So whatever Saturday you're in, know that Sunday has already come. And there's hope for you and me. We can live in that hope. Live victoriously in that hope. If Jesus has conquered death, he can conquer anything in our life, right? Amen. I want the worship team to go ahead and come on up so we can finish our time together. And while they're coming, I just want to share quickly with you this basic gospel truth. God created you to be with him. You know the whole reason you breathe in and out this morning is to know God. To love him and to be loved by him. But every single one of us as human beings suffer from the same disease and that disease is sin and our sin separates us from God. And sin, it's a huge problem and you can't do anything about it yourself, right? Just like the disciples couldn't fix this problem on their own. Sin cannot be removed by good deeds. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and he rose again, just like Scripture promises. And everyone, it says, who trusts in Christ alone will experience eternal life. And life that is eternal starts the day that you believe and it lasts forever. Matter of fact, later on in John, it says all these things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that you would experience life in him.
If you don't know Jesus this morning, put your trust in him. Trust that he will deliver you whatever situation that you're in. He can deliver you from death and give you life because of your faith and trust in him. And if you've never been baptized, if you've never gone under the water to, to, to memorialize this death of an old life and raised again to a new life, next week there's going to be a baptismal right behind that curtain and you can climb into the grave and come up a new person if that's something that you would want to do. And if that is something you've never done and want to do it, let me know and we'll schedule it and we'll have the water available for you. So let's pray and the worship team is going to sing. Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for the good news that is in Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus experienced Friday for us on our behalf so that we could experience the resurrection life that he promises. We praise you and we thank you. We pray that you'd be enthroned on our worship and the song. God, that we would believe the words of it and we believe that you love us so much that you're willing to give your son for us. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Father, we are so grateful that you have overcome, overcome death so that we might have life and so that we can live in this life and overcome all the obstacles that get in our way of living for you and serving you. And so God, we praise you for the opportunity to be in this place this morning. I pray we would leave encouraged. We would leave with this resurrection power inside each one of us because of our faith in you. That same, same spirit that was in Jesus lives in us to empower us to go and to serve. And God, we praise you for that. We thank you for the offering that will be received as we leave this place today, that it will be more seeds to sow into, the, into this community to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the families and the friends and the people that are represented here today. Bless and keep them. May your face shine upon them today. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So thank you so much for being here. Now, if you're here with small ones that are in the children's area, we're going to release you now to go and get them, because if you're going to be a part of the Easter egg hunt that is going to take place down on the football field, we encourage you to go ahead and go um, grab your children, and then come back to the foyer and go out to this corner door over here, and it leads right down to the football field. You'll get instructions while you're there, and so if you don't have children, you can stay around and visit and watch, or go eat, do whatever you want, but thank you so much for being here. Hey, if you want to be baptized, let me know. We'll see you next week. All right, thank you.